Welcome to We Are DB. I am Brenton, joined as always by Danielle. That's me. And thanks for joining us again this week as we count up the IMDb's best movies of all time and discuss some of the greatest films you mightn't ever have seen. This week, rated as number 26 on the Internet Movie Database by millions of film lovers from around the world is Life is Beautiful. Released in 1997, starring Roberto Benigni as the lead, Life is Beautiful is an Italian comedy drama set in the town of Arezzo in Tuscany, Italy, opening in 1939. Based on an original screenplay, Life is Beautiful is written, directed, and starring Roberto Benigni. Now, in case you haven't heard of this, as Danielle hadn't like a day or two ago, I pitched it to you basically saying, like, imagine a slapstick comedy that's set during the Holocaust. Because that's essentially the two feels that you get. It's a very much a comedy drama yeah. split. And you kind of hear that and you're like, what? But it actually works really well. And we'll get into that. It sounds horrible to say it like that. But yeah. um, we'll talk about it some more. Honestly, after this is the second time I've seen it. It's basically if you crossed Faulty Towers with Schindler's List. Yeah. Because yeah. this very much has... The first act and the second act, and those they're very yes. different movies. So when we go into uh, spoilers and non-spoilers, for the first half, we're going to be talking about anything that happens in the first half um, and anything broad about the film, and then when we go into spoilers, we'll talk about what happens in the second half. I actually totally forgot by the time the war stuff started happening in this movie that it was even a war movie, because yeah. it was actually, it was very engrossing, it was very funny, it was very well acted um the comedy even the slapstick comedy was very artfully put in there it didn't yeah you know how faulty towers monty python the stooges it all feels very like presented to you like like they're actually waiting for your reaction you know what i mean it's expositional yeah. uh, well this because is- a lot of those shows had the laugh track yeah. and live audiences this doesn't have it so it's very artfully incorporated in a way that Still makes you laugh without having to listen to it. And as if, like, this is how it would actually happen if someone actually did put a bunch of eggs in your hat and put it on your head kind of thing. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I, I really enjoyed how well Benini was able to kind of lace those elements, those comedic elements into the script really well. And there's silly things that happen. Like, the first half is very silly. Yes. But... Um, it also, for some reason, and I think this is what's important, it doesn't feel terribly, terribly out of place. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like the first half of this movie, like the first hour, is pure setup. And you yes. very rarely get a good movie made that has just so much setup and build up for the second half, but it works so well in this because you're essentially understanding. The characters, mainly his his main character, Guido, who's played by Roberto Benigni, um, and you're understanding every little element about him. Which you need to, because when you take him out of this, this lighthearted element to see how he reacts, it just makes it so much more um, touching and effective, you know what I mean? Like, it does make his performance and the reasoning behind why he does what he does, it makes it that much more effective and that much more um, 
Meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, meaningful. Exactly. Let's talk about just the first half in general. So the movie as a whole, I very much enjoyed it. The the beginning, I, I really enjoyed it. I You like this type of humor, comedy. Yeah, well and it was also it was also filmed as if it wasn't filmed in the nineties. It was almost kind of filmed like it was in the sixties. I was thinking the same thing. And like yeah. either it looks like it's from early seventies is what I was gonna say. It's yeah. just it feels like a different time when this type of comedy seemed more common. And maybe it still was in Italy, maybe it wasn't, but I think that the way the shots that he used, the lighting that he used, it all worked very well for the story he was telling. Yeah. And think about when I'm talking about that, this is where it is very similar to Faulty Towers in terms of the big shot sets and the bright lighting, as you see, like I say, in Faulty Towers, you're always in the reception area of the hotel, right? Those Mm. wide angle kind of shots. And there's a lot of that in this so that you kind of get a feeling of of what the atmosphere is like so that when it changes it's kind of it's pretty evident you know what i mean yeah okay yeah, yeah. that's a, that's a good note this movie won 3 oscars out of 7 or 8 i think it was nominated for which is a pretty big deal for a foreign language film like this because it is all in mm. italian uh so it won for best original score i believe it was as oh, well it? as best director for roberto and best actor Which I highly recommend going to check out his accepted speech if you have never seen it on YouTube because it's hilarious. Both of them. Yeah. And his interview on Graham Norton. That was, that was, oh, oh, that made me laugh. He's, he's just like, oh, it's so cute in kind of like a, in a little old man kind of way. Like he's just an Italian guy. He's just very humble and he's there at the Oscars accepting his speech and everyone, he got a standing ovation for one of his Oscars. I think it was the best actor one. Everyone in Hollywood is standing there applauding you. Like he just seems so appreciative to even be there. It was hilarious. I just want to say... I think he so, so deserved that award because the way he kept up the energy and even in the different atmosphere, he continued the, the essence of that character so well, just how that person would have reacted. Um, and the people he was up against, who was he up against? He was up against Tom Hanks in Saving Private Ryan. He was up against Edward Norton in American History X. I'm trying to think. Nick Nolte was in something. Uh, I don't remember who else it was, but there was some pretty big names up there, and they were just like, "Yeah, all right, that's fine." Like, I don't mind losing to Roberto Benigni in this role. He's it's actually incredible, and I recommend this movie to anyone. This is probably my single favorite foreign language film I've ever seen, and we've been hitting quite a few, like between Seven yeah. Samurai and City God. Uh, Spirited Away is coming up. I also wanted to note that, again, comparing this to Seven Samurai, this one was incredibly easy to follow. And because of that, it made it all the more enjoyable. So they made a point of, because it's so expositional and because he's so animated, that adds to the character so that even if you didn't totally understand what was being said, you would still very much understand what was going on. Um, Yeah, yep. As opposed to City of God, which is so dialogue-oriented. This one... City of God's very fast. Yes, this one was... And I mean, this is probably why this one still won an Oscar is because it was made for an international audience because it was about the Holocaust, right? So you have to make it, you know that people are going to want to see this. Um, So he made it in such a way that it was very easy to follow whether you spoke Italian or not. 
Well, I, th- I think it won Best Foreign Language Film. That's what it was. He was nominated for Best Director. Steven Spielberg won it for Saving Private Ryan. He got up there to do his foreign language film speech is what I got confused with. Okay. I actually think I enjoyed this better the second time around than I did the first time. Because the first time I'm like, I don't really know what I'm expecting. I'll just go along with it. Oh, I liked it in the end. And this time I'm like, I know what I'm expecting. So therefore, I enjoyed it a lot more. I highly recommend this to anyone. Even though after the first half, you're still saying to yourself, like, what am I watching exactly? I don't really get it. But you will by the end. Just stick with it because it's a great film. I felt like I got it instantly. So okay. I I feel like everything you're saying about your second watch, I absolutely got that on my first watch. Oh, because, la <laughs> Well, just because I feel like if you understand Guido's character, you understand this movie. Yes. You and that's I mean? why they put so much time in making sure that the audience understands Guido's character. Yeah. Like even his wife's character. Yeah. On that note... Would you like to move into the spoilers part of this movie so we can start saying, you know, because I think people are starting to think, what did he do? You know what I mean? Why is this so... Um, Yeah. Okay, spoilers. Okay. So the story, it starts out with the main character, Guido, coming to this village. He meets a lady. He falls in love with her. He gets into all sorts of antics, trying to win her over. It works. And then we jump to, I think, how many years later? Four years later? It must have been like four. Like how, How old was the kid? Because the the war was on at the beginning of the movie, but it's obviously still on by the end. Sort of. Yeah. So it's probably only four or five years. Because his son was pretty little. No, it'd be less than that, because he met her in 39, and that's when you see the first character, right? At the beginning. Um, But all the stuff that happens at the end happens in 45, because that's the year the war ended. Unless they were there for longer than that. Well, it didn't seem like it was depicted that way. So yeah. maybe the kids five. I don't know how long they were together yeah. before they had a kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. So four or five. Um, it spans over six years. Over the length of the entire war is when this movie's set. So the biggest thing that you kind of have to understand is that Guido is a Jew. So his thing was that when he came to this village, he wanted to open a bookstore. So he manages to open his bookstore and his son helps him, you know, go to work and whatever, sells his books. And it's very skillfully done the way they kind of work jokes into some of these racist ideas. So there's things about, you know, the the little boy and his dad walk past the store and it says no Jews or dogs. And he said, how come they don't let in Jews or dogs? And he said, I don't know, every store does that. I saw one that didn't let in any... Uh, Spanish or chickens, and another one that didn't let in any Chinese or snakes. He said, we can do it too. What don't don't you like? He's like, spiders. Okay, well, we won't let in any spiders or something else, you know what I mean? Visigoths. I don't know what a Visigoth is. Yeah. The whole second act is about shielding Joshua. They say it differently in Italian, but... Yeah, it um, starts with G. His son, from the horror of the war. And this becomes particularly amazing, actually, because they end up... In a place that looks like Auschwitz. It probably wouldn't be. There was concentration camps all over Nazi-occupied Europe. Europe, yeah. But they, they were in an extermination camp. I think that interaction where he's talking about the spiders and the Visigoths, I think that is a setup piece for being like, okay, he's trying to shield Joshua in not feeling the trauma and the hate and what's actually going on. That set up really what was happening for the rest of the movie, I think. Yeah, it's the first instance. It's the first instance where he's doing this for his son. And 
that also highlights that, like, the fact that he has it painted on his shop front saying, this is a Jewish store, that shows that Guido not only is, like, shielding his son and he's doing this to protect him, he himself isn't really phased by it. He's trying to live the best life he can and not letting all this hate speech get him down. Like, even when he gets taken to the concentration camp, he's still trying to be the best person for his son. And and that's incredible. Exactly, yes. What happens is that they're actually taken on his son's birthday. And so what he says is, oh, no, we're doing this for your birthday. Do you know how much time it took me to organize this? You're going to have so much fun. That character is actually brilliant. Yeah, you know what I mean? I think he's so quick-witted. He turns the whole experience into a sort of game so that it's not only is it not traumatizing for his son, but so that he's able to protect him in a way that the little boy can understand and that he'll adhere to. Because this, his nickname, Joshua's nickname is Stubborn. You know, you see that. (laughs) I don't want to take a bath, right? And so, and that even was a particularly chilling scene. Point is, they're in the truck and... He doesn't even know where they're going, but he tells his little boy, you know, go to sleep, and then he asks around. Yeah, see, that's what I mean, is even he doesn't really show that he's getting down. He might on the inside, but he's staying strong on the outside. He might be fearful, but he doesn't show it. Yeah. And that's a, that's a good prime scene as well, where he's just like, I don't even know what's going to happen to me, but i got to keep up the charade for his sake. I just feel like that everything in this movie happened for a reason, particularly that first half, it all pays off. Like, there's nothing in there that's just sort of filler. And I'm trying to think of another example of a movie that has everything there for a reason and it all makes sense and it makes the story progress in its very particular way. And yeah. it all it all needs to be there for the end result. And I'm trying to think of an example. The only one I can think of is like, okay, Avengers Endgame. Because I feel like that movie literally needed the first 21 movies in order to create it. Like, it makes a reference at some point through that movie to every single movie in the MCU up to that point. Mm. So this is the result of those first 21 movies, and it all has its own part. It's all a stepping stone to this. And that's the best example I can give, Um, just because everything in this movie leads up to that last part where he's in the concentration camp. Yeah, and it's really quite amazing, actually, because he does, he turns it, like, the little boy never learns that they're in a bad place, and that's amazing to me. Which I kind of feel bad for him, because he doesn't realize the severity of the situation, which is kind of a good thing, but it kind of still, I feel bad for him, because he's just sitting there, and he's bored, and he wants to go home, and he's hungry, and he doesn't understand that, like, he thinks this is his birthday gift, and he's not enjoying it. I don't know, I just, that moment makes me feel for him because he's like, I want to go home, and I I, I don't know. It was such a clever way to keep him safe because he says, you know, if we get a thousand points, we get a tank. You know what I mean? It's very clever, So he turns it into, into a game, so, you know, you lose points if you cry, and you lose points if you ask for a snack and stuff like that. That translation scene was still pretty funny. Like, he's still putting in the slapstick comedy into yeah. this serious situation as best he can for Joshua's sake. That was clever. That was so clever. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this. 
Like, honestly, like I said, we were talking about the, the mixture of slapstick comedy with Holocaust drama. I've never seen it. Like, even the very last scene, you know, he's hiding the little boy and he says, you can't come out. You can't come out at all or you'll lose because it's only us left. And if you come out, we'll lose. And then you see him look to the box where the little boy's hiding and he can, you see his little eyes peeping out and you see him walking away, marching funny. Yeah, he, and he winks he to knows. him. Yeah, and immediately in the next frame, he gets shot. Yeah, keeping it up right to the end. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I just think it's such a juxtaposition that, like, kudos to Benini because I don't know how you pulled it off, but you did it so yeah. well. I think I cried the first time I, I saw this. I can see why. Just because because he is still trying to do it by the end there. And the kid doesn't understand the severity of the situation. It's just no. when I first watched this particularly, I was like, wait, 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 this movie is about this guy who's pretending that the Holocaust... Is, is a, a game. big game for his son's birthday. What? Like, that's such a weird premise. And I, I just, again, hats off to Benini to be able to pull this off in such a way because I was not expecting it and I've never seen anything like it. And it's still so respectful. That's the thing, too, is that you're taking yeah. something that has been and still is an international horror and you're putting such a different spin on it that is still so touching. Yes. You know what I mean? And I'd imagine there were some people who did do things like this for their kids. I think his dad was in a POW camp for two years. Benini's dad. Because he was a yeah. Jewish Italian man. So he's taking this from somewhere. Like, he's yeah. ta you know, yeah. there's evidently grains of truth behind Well, this. it shows that that experience, that life experience, we've seen it time and time again throughout cinema. In the exact same year, you've got Saving Private Ryan, right? Directed yep. by Steven Spielberg, which obviously, being a Jewish man himself, it's a very touching personal story for him as well and his family. So he puts all into it. And Saving Private Ryan is a fantastic film. Schindler's List is a fantastic film because he's got this experience. To draw on. Why do you think that this movie is called Life is Beautiful? He explained it in his speech, and I kind of like that. At his Oscar speech? Yeah. He said, even in the most horrible of circumstances, you know. Does it make the most of it? Yeah, and people died so that we could continue to live, and, you know, that's beautiful. And we have to take life and what we've got of it and make it the best of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. And I, I think... I think it's a great example because it was horrible and he still found ways to be humorous through it. Yes, he's finding the humor in the, the in tragic. In the horror. Yeah. yeah. And he took risks. Yeah. Well, he had nothing to lose. Yeah. And I think, like, I know I wouldn't be able to, but I think that in doing that, you know, he's just taking life for exactly what it's worth and what he has in front of him. How were you expecting this movie to end? Because you said you weren't expecting him to die. And even like yeah. 20 minutes into the movie, you weren't expecting it to take the turn that it did. What were well, you expecting from this movie? Yeah. So when we like, so often I don't know what to expect because often I don't even know what we're watching or I'll forget. And I'll be like, what are we doing today? Oh, yeah. Okay. What's that about? Oh, you know, so I remember hearing this and I was like, huh? And you're like, trust me. Trust me. It's good. I'm like, okay. So we sit down and right immediately into it. It was very captivating right from the start. Um, I really enjoyed it. And it was funny and it was silly. 
and there was a lot of things where you just crack up laughing like he played that character yeah. and the physicality of that character very well it drew me in a lot so i really like that and then like i said by the time it rolls around to the second half of the movie i'm like oh yeah the war's on oh yeah i forgot about that you know and then I wasn't sure what was happening, and then I was like, oh, of course, because often with these movies, you know, everything's going really, really well, and that's the perfect time for things to go bad. Um, yes. So, like, when it happened, I was like, oh, shit, oh, that's right, but I wasn't surprised. So if it's the other way around, where the movie's depicting things as shit, and then you're expecting a happy ending. I don't know, I just, I think because his character was so animated, you can't imagine that person being gone. Is more of what yes. it was? Yes. No, I understand yeah. that. I'm just saying that's essentially what I do. If everything's going right, you're expecting them to die on the end. If everything's going wrong, you're expecting them to get happy ending at the end. Yeah. And that's what you were expecting during Brokeback Mountain because yeah. it was such a tragic journey for them to have to go on that you're like, well, well it has to all be it. for something at the end. Yeah, they deserve yeah. it, right? Uh, so you weren't expecting Jake Gyllenhaal's character to die in that. No, not at all. And the thing is, I'm gaining a much better appreciation for movies that do have endings like that because that's how life is. Yeah. Life isn't wrapped up in a pretty little bow. Life it's unpredictable. Sucks sometimes, you know? And that's the point of this movie even is that, like, life can be really, really terrible, but it's still got inherent beauty in it. You know, mm. we have to find it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I really, it hit me pretty hard when he died because he's just, he's smiling and he's goofing off, you know, because this Nazi's taking him away from the main action of what's going on. And he walks around a corner and you just hear gunshot and that's how he dies. And it's just like, whoa, you know what I mean? And that's perfectly depicted. It is perfect. I'm just thinking like, yep. it had to be that way, you know what I mean? For the film, um, yep. it's really well crafted is the right word. Because, yeah. like I said, everything in here has a reason. Like, the fact that the tank rolls up in the end and he finds his mum in the end and he was hiding in that box was depicted when he was trying to avoid taking a bath. He was hiding in a box, you know? Yeah. I just think it it's really quite brilliant the way that he... Like, even that mind trick that he was doing with his friend right at the beginning of the movie, he was using it throughout. Like, that's very clever writing and I actually, I actually love this movie. Yeah. No, it was really, it was really good. It's just, it's written really wonderfully. I've never seen such a good transition either from comedy to tragedy. Yeah. Um, it was quite seamless. It's just skillful. The whole thing is just skillful. Yeah. Like the performance, the writing, the cinematography, the concepts, it's all just very skillful and it's definitely worth checking out. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie and the nice thing about this one too is that it's less serious you can approach this topic and it's an easier watch than schindler's list yeah or schindler's list saving is pretty private up there. ryan <laughs> you know what i mean they're all important to watch to honor the people who died in this but this one it gets the same point without making you feel so so bad you know what yeah. i mean that's kind of nice I feel like a movie like Schindler's List is explaining to people who didn't understand what went on, this is what actually went on. And yeah. it, that's it's kind of like a documentary sort of in that way. Yeah. Because it's, it's like, like a biopic. Yeah. It, yes, it is. It's hitting all those points, just being like, in case you didn't know everything, here it is, you know. And Life is Beautiful is now with that knowledge, you'll understand this. 
Because yeah. if you if you're a younger generation who's never heard of the Holocaust and you watch this movie, you wouldn't understand it. You're like, no. what showers? What are you talking about? Right? So that's that's the difference between the two of them. Yeah. We have been Danielle and Brenton this week. Thanks for joining us. Feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on all the socials and comment on SoundCloud. And until next week, thanks for listening. <laughs>